Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sam's Land Podcast. This is a episode that is going to be linked to my final project that is due in one of the classes that I have this semester. We are going to be talking about the research behind the genetics and epigenetics of addiction. This topic is very important to me just because it is something that not only affects the life of the person, but also the lives of family members and friends. Um, This disease is something that has affected my life personally, and so I hope in the future that there will be a better therapeutic way of treating it and also figuring out a way to prevent it. First, I'd like to start out by clarifying the difference between dependence and addiction. They are not, you know, one in the same. Addiction is rooted in the brain, so it's more of a psychological state of mind, whereas dependence occurs when your body as a whole becomes used to the effects of the drug and then goes through withdrawal when you stop using said substance. So from the research that I've gathered, it seems to be that substance abuse is influenced not only by genetic factors, but also environmental ones, which interact in very complex ways. The genetic influence plays out in a different way than the typical Mendelian mode, meaning that there are many risk alleles involved, which actually never fully determine if a person will be affected later in life. Uh, This is something that is completely different from a lot of other diseases. There is a necessary component of gene by environment interaction, which means, um, you know, a person cannot become substance dependent without exposure to the substance itself, regardless of the person's genetic makeup. For example, a person that is dependent on opioids can't be, you know, dependent or addicted without having tried or have had access to the drug. This is unlike other psychological problems like schizophrenia, where there isn't really any specific environmental triggers. With this being said, uh, addiction can also be coupled with other psychiatric disorders. Uh, For example, attention deficit disorder is associated with a higher risk of substance abuse. Alright, so about 1 in 4 people over the age of 18 are affected by substance abuse, which I think is a lot larger than people think it is. I think it's a lot more common than people like to make it out to be. Um, You know, through the research, some people are born with sequences of DNA that make them just more susceptible to substance abuse itself. When looking at a study done with people of different ages, um, adolescent individuals around the age of 14, almost 70% of substance abuse is influenced by the environment. However, when the individual reaches adulthood, around 18 or so, around 50% of substance abuse is influenced by their genes. So it really shows that the environment influences when people start substance using. However, once they do, their genes really take over control. There was also another study done in Finland, I believe, um, where, you know, there was a graph showing the influence of substance abuse changes with parental monitoring. So when kids had a high level of parental monitoring, a good relationship with um, their children and they were involved, uh, the environment was actually the most important thing that influenced abuse. It was about 60%. However, when kids had low parental monitoring, maybe a bad relationship, um, their genes were the most important and they influenced abuse by 70%. Both of these studies I think are really crucial in understanding just how complex 
the relationship is between environment and genes. Um, and I also think it is able to give people insight about what they can try to do to help their children along the way, especially if they know that, you know, substance abuse runs in the family. So I think it's pretty important to understand why certain substances are so addictive. And in this case, I'm going to use the example of opioids. So all opioids act on opioid receptors and bind significantly tighter than natural endorphins do. This means that opioids can manage a much higher level of pain within the body, which is why they are prescribed for a lot of major medical procedures. Dopamine is then released once the opioid binds, which is responsible for the feeling of euphoria within the brain. Um, opioids suppress the release of noradrenaline, which influences wakefulness, blood pressure, etc. Um, over time, the body can actually develop a tolerance by either decreasing the number of opioid receptors on the cell surface or by making the receptors less responsive. This is why over time, someone needs more and more opioids in order to get the same effect, especially if they have been using the medication for a long time. This then leads to physical dependence and actual changes within the body. As people take more opioids to counter the body's tolerance, the level of noradrenaline gets extremely low, which can impact some of the body's normal functions, such as you know, breathing, digestion, stuff like that. Um, the body then has to compensate for this by increasing the number of noradrenaline receptors. In this way, it can detect a smaller amount of noradrenaline, which allows the body to function normally. However, the body actually starts depending on opioids to maintain this new balance. Therefore, when someone is physically dependent on opioids and they stop the medication, the noradrenaline levels get extremely high, um, but the body takes a long time to get rid of the extra receptors that it made on top of the cell surface, so an oversensitivity of noradrenaline causes withdrawal symptoms such as vomiting, chills, fever, etc. Um, symptoms of withdrawals can last anywhere from hours to weeks depending on the severity of dependence. Another drug I would like to talk about is deamphetamine or Adderall as a lot of people know it as. Um, this is used for people with ADD, ADHD to help them focus. This drug is highly abused within high school and even college. Um, you know, students think that if they take it, they'll be able to focus more, to study longer, but they don't really know how severe the drug is and what it does to the body itself. So Adderall is actually in the same risk factor class as opioids, which means that it is just as addictive as something like Vicodin or Percocet. It works by basically increasing the amount of dopamine that a person has in their body, which then allows them to focus better. However, a lot of people don't know that by abusing this drug, it creates a negative feedback loop within the body for dopamine. So that means that your body stops creating dopamine naturally, and so your body starts relying and becoming quote-unquote dependent on Adderall in order to supply its normal levels. So that's why it is so crucial that you don't take that medication unless you know that you are prescribed it from a doctor, you're checked out, 
everything because you really don't want to mess up your body's natural cycles and rhythms. Um, addiction doesn't have to be to C2 drugs like I mentioned before. Um, it could be dependent on, say, melatonin. A lot of people don't know, but by taking melatonin, it does a very similar thing, you know, to Adderall in the sense that it, you know, increases the amount of the body's melatonin. But after long use, the body actually starts creating less melatonin on its own. So then it relies on the melatonin that you take every night in order to have a normal sleep schedule. All right, with all of that being said, we're going to talk about something super scientific here. So brace yourselves. I'll try to explain it the best I can. Uh, we are going to be talking about endogenous opioid systems. So basically, um, the gene product of OPRM1 is MOPR. MOPR, like I said in the beginning, is the mu opioid receptor. And it is responsible for you know, allowing the opioid molecule to bind to it. So the A118G single nucleotide polymorphism of OPRM1 actually results in an amino acid substitution within, you know, the mu opioid receptor. This mutation allows a decreased level of OPRM1 mRNA expression, which then thereby decreases the level of mu opioid receptors. Along with the decreased number of actual receptors, um, there is an increased binding affinity for natural endorphins rather than opioids. These studies were done in OPRM1 knockout mice, which have confirmed the importance of this receptor to the rewarding effects of opiates and other drugs of abuse. Alright, so we are coming to the end of this podcast, and I think I just want to summarize why these studies are so important. Number one, I think it can help create a better understanding about the different levels of risk that people have, and that also that the nature of some of it is purely biological. Um, once we have a more specific genetic factor, uh, the biology behind the addiction process is increased substantially. Also, knowing more about the specific mechanisms and pathways can then help create better treatments and pharmacological therapies. So that is it for today's podcast. I hope that you learned a lot and enjoyed the information that I was able to share. Like I said, addiction is something that affects a lot of people. And so if you know of anyone that, you know, are facing mental and or substance use disorders, please use the National Helpline. It is 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-622-4357. Thank you.